0: Go ahead and take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7. This may be the final uh, lesson I'm going to do for now. I I might do one more, but as of right now, I'm thinking this will be the last one I'm going to do. I've been covering subjects surrounding the King James Bible in defense of the King James only position for the last couple weeks. And this week... I want to focus on one of the main reasons that I am King James only. One of the reasons, too, I am not even tempted to veer away from the King James only position, and that is because of the fruit of the King James Bible. Not just the fruit of the Bible itself, but I, I thought about calling this, too, just the fruit of King James onlyism. Um, the, it, there is a very big difference between people who hold to the belief that the King James Bible is the inspired, preserved Word of God and who are King James only uh, than those who are just any version goes. There's even a difference between churches who are hardcore King James only and those who are just King James preferred. And when I look at the fruit of those uh, ministries, that tells me quite a bit. And we see in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, They are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? You know what Jesus is basically saying right here when he says you should know them by their fruits? He's basically telling you, judge. He's saying, judge their fruits. We're allowed to do that. Okay? Don't let people's misuse of uh, Matthew 7, 1 stop you from ever making any judgments. Don't use hypocritical judgments, but by all means, judge, judge righteous judgment, judge righteously, and you should judge people's fruit. You should judge the fruit of who you are listening to preach. And he says, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire, wherefore by their fruits ye shall know them. And so, uh, I want to talk about the fruit of the King James Bible, because there is this book has definitely produced some fruit, as has the NIV and the ESV. They have produced some fruit and there are distinct differences. And, and I am not a language guy. Okay, I only know English. I don't know other languages. Uh, I, I don't pretend to be uh, a qualified to translate the Bible. I'm not a historian. I'm not an expert um, when it comes to all the manuscript evidence and the history of all that uh, I'm for that kind of teaching. I've read books on that. And frankly, most of them just kind of bored me at the end of the day. I'm not even tempted to get away from the King James only position because the fruit is just so good, you know, and that's, that's the main thing I want to study and I want to pay attention to. And so uh, one of the main reasons I am not KJV preferred or as is becoming more and more of a thing, a transtextual as, as that is becoming more of a thing. People transitioning away. I'm telling you, I, I don't want to touch that stuff with a 10 foot pole. And it is, it's amazing how people who were KJV only, you look at their churches and then they transition to non KJV. I mean, the changes are drastic the fruit that gets produced is drastically different and by all means we should judge those things and I am judging those things and I'm telling you right now uh you will ha- you'll have to throw me out before you can throw the king james only position out because uh I am I refuse to go to a church that isn't KJV only I refuse to go to that church even if it's this church you'll have you'll have to throw me out too so first off one, uh, some fruit of the King James Bible and that is it was the King James version I believe that brought us out of the dark ages with, without a doubt and this is uh, what the world says about the dark ages interestingly enough is it usually refers to 900 years of European history between the 5th and the 14th centuries uh, and so uh, what now what they'll say like on Wikipedia They'll say, you know, have you heard that this was a period of stalled advancement in science or culture? So what uh, the world credits us coming out of the Dark Ages to is the advancements in technology. That's what they'll tell, tell us. Technology is what got us out of the Dark Ages. But think about this. What, because apostasy, things like that, they don't happen overnight, okay? Some things don't happen overnight. But they will tell you the fifth century is when we went into the dark ages. Now, what happened around close to the fifth century? Anybody know what happened in the fourth century? In the, what's that? I thought I heard something. Yeah, but in the fourth century is when you have the Catholic Church come along. That's when you have your Council of Nicaea. You have this universal church pop up. And in the fourth century, the, uh, um, the Catholic Church is formed, but not only that, I believe a lot of true Christian churches apostatized during that time and literally accepted uh, a an antichrist figure, the Pope. I mean, folks, when these things came along and became a part of Christianity, it did tons of destruction. I think the only reason the church was preserved was because of God's promise to preserve the church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But let me tell you, those dark ages were a dark time in our world, a dark time in Christian history. And so we understand that the New Testament, it was uh, originally written in Greek. And Greek was kind of the main language. But then, fourth century, you have the Catholic Church come along. You have this great apostasy that takes place. And you know, and again, apostasy doesn't happen overnight. You have a period of 100 years or so where this kind of stuff comes into the church and what did it do they started losing the things that they had and it plummeted us into the dark ages and so they did they had a uh, a well-established a well-preserved perfect you know perfect scriptures in the greek language but as the church apostatized everything fell apart and then we have a revival around the word of god after that uh, period of time around the 15th century because uh if you if if you look at the history of the English translations of the Bible you know the probably the uh, more famous of the English translations is in 1382 you had Wycliffe's Bible that came along and you know in these Bibles too a lot of these people you know they did the best they could with what they had and some of them had very little these things were done by individuals but these things helped make a difference in the English speaking world where people are now capable of, you know, English speak speaking people are able to understand the Bible in their language. Tyndale was, uh, was very influential here. In 1525, he wrote, or he translated the Bible. And Tyndale, he had the goal that a lot of these transtextuals are referring to. They'll talk about how we need a Bible that the plowboy can read. Well, Tyndale said that in a time when churches were using Latin. In an English speaking world. Okay, and a plowboy, he wasn't just, you know, they, those weren't typically the well educated. These were typically, though, but hard working and people who, you know, obviously were not going to know the Latin language where they're trying to compare the plowboy who's a hard worker to a bunch of lazy good for nothings who only language they know is in emojis and through texting, you know, LOL and all that kind of junk. Listen, these lazy millennials that are out there today, these lazy Gen Zers that are out there today that don't know how to spell, that don't know how to communicate, understand they are not an equivalent to the plowboy. They're just lazy. If they wanted to learn, information is at their fingertips. They could figure out the language of the King James if they just had the slightest bit of motivation. But they don't there's no comparison. That's a it's a foolish comparison. But in fifteen thirty five you had the Coverdale Bible, 1537, the Matthews Bible, um, 1539, the Taverners Bible, 1539, the Great Bible, 1560, Geneva Bible, 1568, the Bishop's Bible. And you know, and not all these Bibles were translated from the right manuscripts. But again, what we're seeing, though, is I think that in the English speaking world, a desire for people to have the scriptures in their language and have it right. In 1582, you have the Dewey Reams Bible. Uh, which was the Catholic version of it, because the Catholics are trying to compete, you know, and so they translated their Bible from the Latin manuscripts, which is why, you know, theirs has a lot of the problems that they do. But again, they have to compete because there's all these other churches where people are using the Bible in English. Well, guess where people are going to want to go? Where they can learn the Bible in their language. And then, but then in 1611, you finally have the King James Bible. And so without a doubt, there was a hunger for the word of God in the English speaking world and God filled them. And so, you know, when people too, the transtextuals, when they start, you know, like, well, where, you know, where was the word of God before 1611? Well, obviously it was out there. Otherwise they couldn't have translated it into English. But as far as finding good history on that, it's going to be pretty tough because we have 900 years called the dark ages where we're not going to have well-preserved history. Where the Bible was going to be something that was very hard to find, but the fact that it's still here today proves that it was there during that time. But interestingly enough, um, it is it is amazing to see how when an apostasy came, you know, there was the Bible became very hard to find for a long time. But when you see a kind of a revival, when you see uh, you know uh, uh, people having a hunger for the Word of God, God ended up blessing them. And so I believe it was the King James Bible that helped and that was very instrumental in bringing us out of the dark ages. We went into the dark ages because of sin, because of apostasy, and the King James Bible helped bring about a revival. Now, folks, how have things gotten better religiously with all these new versions of the Bible? Has it gotten better? No, I I don't think anyone would make an argument that doctrine's gotten better. It, and it's gotten worse. It's gotten way worse. It's so bad, the things that are being, is being passed off as doctrine today, and uh, the things that are acceptable. It's absolutely ridiculous. So these new versions haven't helped a thing. And so another thing, another fruit of the King James Bible, too, that I look at is, I think it's interesting how it's the English-speaking world that has led in the advancement of the gospel across nations. What other language in the world do we see them sending out missionaries to all different parts of the earth? I mean, I'm sure there's a rare example here and there. But typically, if you want to find a sound biblical church in another country, chances are it's going to be something that was connected to or started by an English speaking missionary. You know, England used to be the place that sent all the missionaries out and they, they they're a big reason why we have what we have in America today, but now it's in it's in America. What's the difference? I think what, I think one of the reasons we have so much power is we have a perfect word of God. And then you take this away, it's going to get bad. What do we see too? You know, and I get it. There's a lot of ESV, there's a lot of NIV people sending out missionaries, but what kind of missionaries are they sending out? These little hipster mis- missionaries with their surfing ministries and their, uh, you know, teaching people how to go scuba diving and, you know, I mean, just weird things like that. I mean, th- these are literal things. Somebody sent me some information on one of these surfer missionaries that I promise you we will never support. I'll, I will bet $5,000 that guy's not King James only, okay? And I'm not officially putting that bet. But I, I don't think I'd be gambling if I did that. And I don't believe in gambling. But I don't think I'd be gambling if I, if I bet $5,000 and I didn't check his doctrinal statement. But that guy is not King James only. Gu- guarantee it. And, and so Matthew 25, 25 says, And I was afraid. And this is an important concept. Okay, I've preached on this before. I'm not going to re-preach this message. I'm going to just try to hit some highlights on it. But it says, And I was afraid and went and hid thy talent in the earth. The parable of the talents. Therefore... Thou hast, that is thine. His Lord answered and said to him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sow not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchanges and then at my coming, I should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents for unto every one that hath shall be given and he shall have an abundance from him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Now, we understand this is about Israel. This is a parable against Israel who had done nothing with what God had given them. And so Jesus told them, kingdom's going to be taken from you. It's going to be given to another nation because you did nothing with it. Now, when you look at other countries, the gospel has gone to other countries. But what are they doing with what's been given? Many of that, many countries are hostile towards the Gospel. They are hostile towards the Word of God. They persecute missionaries. They burn Bibles. They ban those things. Where you have other places where they're hungry for those things. They've accepted those things. And not only do they just allow it, but they practice it. They live it. And so because, uh, I believe, because there was that great revival in the English-speaking world of people who had a hunger for the Word of God, you know, the Bible says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If you want good, if you want that which is right and that which is holy, God will help you get it. And thank God there were English speaking people who wanted the word of God and they didn't just say it. They were willing. I mean, guys like Tyndale died for what he did. In translating the Bible. I mean, many people died so we could have a Bible in the English language. These, they had that kind of commitment. God saw w- the, what they did with what they had been given. You know what God did? He multiplied it. Now what happens when you, you know, the, when the transtextuals start arguing with you about these things, when you start talking about having a perfect Bible in the English language, they're like, well, what about people in other languages? you know they so it's like because we believe we have a bible based on the clear evidence of it based on the fruit of it that is perfect they all of a sudden jump to this conclusion well then that means every language has to have a perfect bible well why why not not if they're persecuting people if they're fighting these things if the people don't care if they're taking the talents that they have and they're burying it they're hiding it why should they and notice how you know god didn't give that the one with 10 or notice how the God gave the one with 10 talents, the extra talent, not the one that had the three gave six. So again, I don't think we should be surprised that there is one language that is mainly being used. That language is where people were actually doing something with what they have been given. And so I believe if another nation would get serious about the Bible, get serious about the gospel, get serious about living according to the ways of God. I believe God would bless them and give them a perfect translation too. I don't see why I can't, but I don't believe God's required to give every language their own perfect Bible. I, I do not make that claim. I've not heard anyone make that claim. That's just what every, that's what these politically correct people that just, you know, They think everything's got to be equal across the board and, you know, implying that God's doing something unjust and giving it to us. But no, when we see how God judges things, I think it's, it makes sense why we have a perfect Bible and, and we don't. You know, where's the perfect Arabic Bible? Folks, what are they doing with the Word of God? And, you know, any, I mean, you go visit any country and you want to find a, a church that's doctrinally sound you know what it typically is it's typically an american missionary running that church and if it's not chances are you trace that church back a little bit it got started by an english-speaking missionary some guy that came over there probably with the king james bible he probably translated you know they translated the bible in those people's language but what got started it's the fruit of this king james bible it's a direct result of it and so I don't believe every language has to have a perfect Bible, but I believe they could get one. I believe if the Arabs would have a revival, God would eventually get that to them. But uh, until they start doing something with what they have, until they stop persecuting Christians, you know, I don't see why they're going to have it. And so, as our, our nation gets farther away from the King James, our nation just happens to go more into debauchery. Again, we've not gotten better in the last hundred years, have we? I mean, folks, look where we're at now. I mean, we've got homo marriage. We've got, we've got homos being ordained and standing behind pulpits today. I mean, folks, they're not getting that from reading their Bible. And at the end of the day, even other versions will condemn homosexuality, but people just say, ah, that's not what it really means. Because again, the Bible is not authoritative in in these worlds. The Bible says in 1 Timothy one. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Hey, how do people get to this point? Hey, again, it's something. It, it, it's a process. It happens over time. And as we see people getting away from the authority of the Scriptures, we are seeing more and more of this crazy debauchery going on. I mean, folks, and your conscience has to be seared with a hot iron. When you've got a lesbian as the, you know, like the archbishop, was it the Episcopal Church they had like a lesbian that was like leader for a while? I don't know if it's still that way. I mean, if you have a woman pastor, your conscience has to be seared. The Bible's real clear about these things, and yet, ah, uh, eh, no big deal. Uh, I'll, you know, and, and let me tell you something. I've yet to meet the King James only preacher who was okay with women pastors. I've yet to meet the King James only preacher that was okay with homos behind the pulpit. I've I've yet to meet them. But you know what? I can promise you, you see one of them up preaching, they're not using the King James Bible. Uh, Why why are they so, why is this so toxic to them? And we know why it's so toxic to them. Because it spells out, and, and not only, again, not just the fact that it just flat out Tells us where they're wrong. Because some of the other Bibles will tell you that it's wrong too. But again, this is the one that has authority. This is the one that Christians have made an authority. The ones that other people carry around that look like this, so they carry it around, they read the words that it says, but let me tell you, it's not the boss in their churches. It's not what decides things. No. They decide things and because traditionally churches have used Bibles, they're going to use a Bible. I mean, if if they're going to deceive people into thinking they're an actual Christian church, you gotta do something that resembles a Christian church, and you have to use a Bible because every real Christian has always used a Bible. So but at the end of the day, theirs has no authority. They will correct it whenever they need it. If they don't like what says, Well you've got to understand the culture in that day. They were very oppressive towards women and minorities and homosexuals and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like, you know, no, it's pretty clear what the Bible says about that. So the closer churches are to the KJV, the better the doctrine. Matthew twenty two twenty nine. 29, Jesus says to them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. People, they make errors. And when it does, it messes up their doctrine. The Sadducees were messed up on the resurrection because they were in error when it came to the Scriptures. Well, what's going to happen if your Scriptures are in error? Then your doctrine's definitely going to be off. And, and your doctrine can be off even with the King James Bible. You know, if you're, you know, if, if you make errors. But what if your Scriptures erred? And it says in 1st, or 2nd Timothy 2.15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth but shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Bad doctrine, it, do, it said it starts small, but it always gets bigger. It increases unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat as doth a canker, something that spreads, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is passed already, and overthrow the faith of some. And so again, they could accuse me of error and say, well, you know, you independent fundamental King James only Baptist. You, know, you guys think your doctrine is so perfect. But no, you're the ones that are in error because you're not even Calvinist. You know, which is one of the, my you know, reasons I am King James only because it seems like half these people, as soon as they dump the King James version, they embrace Calvinism. And folks, there is no doubt in my mind because I know how to read that Calvinism is a false doctrine. It's so obvious and you cannot be a Calvinist without it being necessary for you to correct some scriptures. But here's the thing. So they'll accuse me of being an error, but at least I believe in a way to settle the argument. You know, right here. And you will never get election the way they teach it from Romans 9 in a King James Bible. I'm not even really seeing it in other versions, but I'm especially not seeing it in, in the King James Bible. And so since they don't have a final authority, you know, what is their basis for saying I'm wrong besides their own opinion? Well, you know, historically Protestant churches, you know, have accepted these creeds and all that, you know, this confession, blah, blah, blah. No. Listen, if they got it from the Bible, if they got Calvinism from the Bible, you should be able to show me where they got it. And I've looked at what they have to say about Romans 9. It's not even close. I've looked at what they say about Ephesians 1. It's not close. I've read the entire chapter. I've looked at the context. It's not even close to what they're saying. And when you start going and getting real specific on where they're wrong, they want to go to other versions. They want to start talking about you know the Greek as it you know and then you know why do you need to talk about the Greek? Did the King James translators put something wrong down? Well well no you know I think King James is a good translation, but you just you can't get the full. Meaning without the Greek. Or then they didn't do a good job translating it. If they, if they, if we can't understand, you know, what Paul was trying to tell the people, then that means they did a bad job translating it. And I don't think that's the case. You can't, you can't really have it both ways. So another thing too, uh, you know, with all the hatred out there for the King James, one is yet to show me the flaw. You know, where is the flaw? They'll say all the time that, oh no, here's here's a flaw. Here's a contradiction. No, that's a contradiction of your doctrine that you had decided is true. Because your final authority is some confession of faith that was put together somewhere. And yeah, that verse right there contradicts your doctrine. But does it contradict something else in the Bible? Absolutely not. No, it does not. I, I watched a guy just this morning who was correcting the Bible in Acts 2 when it's talking about Christ and it said, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell. And so what does he do? Well, you know, there's a contradiction there because, I mean, obviously we know that, you know, Jesus went to, uh, you know, a good place in, in hell and he led captivity captive, meaning he, you know, and, and I already showed how that is one of the dumbest things that people teach that leading captivity captive was taking all the saints out of good hell. That is not what that passage is talking about. It does not even allude to that in any way, shape, or form. It is something very specific that you can see. And yet, but what do they do? They think, no, because, no, your doctrine's wrong. That verse is a problem for you because your doctrine's wrong. So the thing is, you have made a doctrinal statement somewhere your final authority, instead of the King James Bible. So when I read Acts 2 and I see that, then it's like, oh, I'm, you know, I just believe it. And then if I go to Ephesians and it says he led captivity captive and it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah, that makes sense. You know what it makes me do? It makes me go study what that actually means. And oh yeah, he led captivity captive. That would mean that the things that held us captive, he took captive. Well, what could that be? Probably what he was talking about in Ephesians, the things of the law that were against us, he defeated those things that were contrary, and he did it through his death. His death on the cross took those things out of the way. That was him leading captivity captive. Where? And, and then you're like, where in the world is that him going and getting the saints out of good hell? It's just, it's not there. You know. So um, again, right there, they're proving. Their final authority is in a doctrinal statement, not the Word of God. And so the thing is, you know, because I've stuck to a King James only position, it actually motivated me to go study certain things because I used to have, I used to think that's what that meant too. But then I'm seeing in Acts two, wait, this is a huge contradiction of what I believe about Ephesians chapter four. Something's wrong. So what does it get me doing? It gets me studying the Bible, and it's like, wait a minute, that's. Where in the world do we get this idea that he's leading Old Testament saints out of good hell? You know, the Bible doesn't teach that they went to hell or even a good part of hell. I mean, the Bible said in Psalms, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Jesus said, you know, how, how is Jesus going to the place of the dead and being dead with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when Jesus said before that took place that he is not the God of the dead? But of the living, so that doesn't make sense either, because Jesus said, "I'm He that was dead." Well, but yet Jesus said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they weren't dead. So, you know, they're the ones that have all kinds of problems when it comes to these things. So the King James Bible, you know, might you know, it it fix I let it fix my doctrine. They don't because this is this is the final authority right here. This is the boss. And so, they've yet to show me a flaw. And again, they, uh, they're not really sola scriptura. They're not. They say that because they want to look historic, but they don't practice it. They do not practice it. And so the closer a church gets to the King James Bible too, not only, it, one, another thing I see, the better their behavior. Not just their doctrine, but their behavior. You know what? Who cares about your doctrine if it doesn't affect your behavior? And in Galatians 5.19, it says, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, and as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it goes into the fruit of the Spirit. And so the thing is, when there is... A big difference between churches, not only who are King James only, anybody can put King James only on their doctrinal statement. Anybody, any church can claim King James only. But again, who cares if you're King James only, if you don't actually follow what it says. Yeah, and there is, there is a big difference in the morality. All these churches, when you get away from the King James Bible, what is, what's another thing they do? Women start dressing like men, men start dressing more like women, drinking, you know, all, I mean, all of a sudden, you know, divorce is no big deal. Shacking up's no big deal. I mean, just all these works of the flesh aren't a problem anymore. The service becomes carnal. The music becomes carnal. I mean, it's just all about the things of the flesh. You no longer can tell the difference between, you know, them and the rest of the world. I mean, if you looked at the crowd, you looked at the building, you wouldn't know if it was a church service or a rock concert. Looks exactly the same. And folks, we know the rock concerts and all those out there, it's all about the flesh. We don't think there's anything spiritual about that. But you know what? Shame on you. You're terrible for judging. I'm allowed to judge fruit. You know what? We've got an apple tree out there. You know, how dare you call that an apple tree? What if it identifies as a pear tree? I don't care what it identifies as. It grows apples every year. I've seen the fruit, I've ate the fruit and I know, I know that it's an apple tree and you know, I'm, I'm not real good at identifying plants and things like that. I'm not real good at identifying trees right now. If I was to go into some kind of orchard and it had all different types of fruit trees, I wouldn't know what a single one of them was except for maybe a pear tree. We used to have a pear tree when I was growing up, kind of had that unique look and I used to climb it all the time and eat pears out of it. But I wouldn't know right now what any of those trees were. Some people more trained would. But you know what? Come fall, I could tell you on all of them. You know why? Because the fruit. I know, what, I know what the different fruits are. I like fruit. And when it comes to uh, the churches that are out there, when it comes to their doctrine, the things they're claiming, the things that they're practicing, by all means, we should all judge the fruit and the fruit that they got is poison. The fruit that they have is rotten. The churches too, I I don't, I don't understand. Why can't you why can't why is it not possible to transition from the KJV and to become stronger in your soul winning in a church? But isn't it interesting how whenever people transition from the KJV, they go to more less confrontational, you know, ways where instead of now going soul winning. They're going to go, you know, hand out water bottles at the fair. I'm not against handing out water bottles at the fair, but come on, you know, that's, I'm for any method to try to reach people and stuff like that, but it, you know, it's fun, it's funny how you lose your King James Bible and all your evangelistic outreach methods are ones that are socially acceptable. I think you're trying to fit in with the world. You know why? Because you're worldly, because you're carnal, because you're fleshly. And I've yet to see a church get away from the King James only position and get better in any area. And so here's, you know, KJV only churches have the best fruit. They are the only churches I can find that have the kind of fruit that I'm looking for. Now, and here's the thing too, okay. Any, any trans textuals watching this, I know what you all are screaming I know what you're all, all right, you' all are going to need to go into a therapy session and tell your therapist about you know, all these mean things I, that this pastor said and how much it affected you and gave you anxiety and they're gonna to have to give you some extra pills all right I know what you're thinking I know of this KJ the only church that where things were terrible but here's what you got to understand you know those are the exceptions and not the rule. The Bible says in 2 Peter 2: one but there were false prophets also among the people even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. There will always be the false prophets that sneak in, but eventually we'll learn who they are through their doctrine because they're going to bring in bad doctrine too. And, and you know what? Most of the time, whenever people try to tell you about the bad fruit of KJV-onlyism, you know who they always talk about? Ruckmanites. It's always Ruckmanites. Now, here's the thing. You know, Ruckmanites, they're right that it's King James only, but they also bring in Danville heresies. That's what false prophets do. They're not just King James-only people. They're hyper-dispensationalists there're multiple gospel people they teach you to lose your salvation in the old testament they teach people who are going to be able to lose their salvation in the tribulation they've got one crazy false doctrine after another why cuz are revealing themselves there and they cause the way of truth it's all they're the ones that caused king the king james only position to be evil spoken of the the haters out there the transtextuals they're trying to make everybody who's king james only out to be a Ruckmanite. But unfortunately, Ruckmanites do say some right things when it comes to the King James only position. But you know what? There's a lot of King James only people. They're not hyper dispensationalists. They're not They're They're one gospel people they they believe it's always been grace. There's a lot of them that believe right on these things. You know, there's always going to be that preacher out there too, who is right when it comes to his positions but, the, but he's, he falls morally or something like that. Those kind of things happen. doesn't mean everything that they taught was false. Sometimes it's a good guy falling in sin. Sometimes it's a bad guy just showing his fangs. But either way, they caused the way of truth to be evil spoken of. So the thing is, yes, if, you want, if, you're, if you're trying to find some bad uh, people in the King James only world, come talk to me. I'll point out several of them to you there there's a bunch of them but if you also come to me and say well i want you to show me some good churches in the king james only world i can help you with that i can give you a bunch and and you ask me to show you some good churches not king james only i can't and not just because of their bible position i'm talking about because of their doctrine i'm talking about because of their behavior i i I can't Find it. I'm sure there's an exception out there somewhere that there's some, you know, but I'll I'll say this. If you find a church out there that's not King James only, that has good doctrine and good practices, I promise you they're not a transtextual. And a transtextual is one who transitioned from the King James to something else. It's probably somebody who is going to transition eventually to the King James Bible because they're on the right path in the right direction. And I believe historically, too, there have, there have been good churches, there have been good people who didn't have that, but they were moving in the right direction. And so uh, if you do, you show me the church out there that's got a great doctrinal statement that's full of godly people, uh, you keep watching that church, and they're going to be King James only before long, because uh, this is what God has used, and it's what's got good fruit. So with that, let's pray to your Lord. Thank you so much for your perfect word that you've given us. Lord, I pray you help us to uh, stay faithful to uh, defending it. But Lord, more importantly, that we'll stay faithful to practicing what it actually says. And I pray you help us to be a good example in this area. In your name we pray. Amen.